Hello and welcome back to the God Story podcast. And today, our very first God Story podcast special. We're going to be highlighting news, current affairs, information that's relevant to the moment, and we're putting them in a special podcast. I'm Brent Siddle, and I'm joined today by Dirk Smith, the Vice President of Eastern European Mission. He's here to talk with us about something very exciting that God's doing in Eastern Europe, particularly in Ukraine. More than uh, two million, I presume it's two million US dollars, have recently been given to provide Bibles for children as the war continues. Dirk joined EEM following his tenure as a development officer with Harding University. He earned experience in business development with an eye for revenue building through positions with firms like Jackson and Coca in Dallas, Texas, and T. Williams Consulting. And Dirk joins me now from the States. Dirk, hi. How are you doing, Brent? Good to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, f- uh, to have you with us. Now, what is God doing in Eastern Europe at the moment? Well, the, I guess the better question is, what's he not doing? Yeah, there's there's some amazing things happening right now. Of course, we all see the evil that's going on with Russia and uh, just the horrific nature of this war, which is only from Satan. But it's amazing, Brent, to watch the Ukrainian people and their response to it and uh, how they're how they're caring for each other caring for their neighbors, risking their lives. I mean, it's just story after story that we're getting people going back into uh, the war, the war-torn area where, where it's very risky and uh, going in to, to rescue people, provide humanitarian aid, which we're trying to help with that to some degree. But, um, and then of course, just the, the, um, the clinging for hope that we all have. I mean, the bottom line is we all want hope. We all want to believe there's something beyond this. And, uh, you know, whether it's the economy or your own 401k or, or um, health issues, just whatever we deal with, they're in the midst of it. And uh, they're looking for hope. Yeah. How is the war in Ukraine displacing children and people generally? Yeah, it's, um, you know, as, we've, as you've seen on the news, I mean, there's uh, upwards of four about 4.2 million uh, who have fled the nation of Ukraine. Some are trying to go back, but, um, you know, parents have been killed. So now you've got children who are now orphans. You have orphans who are displaced from orphanages. It's, um, it's really a nightmare situation. It's, it's left our headline news. Unfortunately, I don't know why it has, Uh, has compassion just left us completely. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the children are really the victims in in all of this because they don't know what's going on, and um, it, it's it's really been a challenge. But we're watching people step up and take care of them and help help get them places to stay and and just loving on them, finding family members, etc. How many Christians are there in Ukraine today, roughly? Yeah. Do we know? Yeah, uh, who knows? No, I have no idea. Uh, it, it'd be hard to tell. Um, although this is very much a spiritual war. Because we started um, about nine, almost 10 years ago now, uh, supplying their public schools with Bibles at their request because they began teaching a, it was an elective, but they called it Christian ethics. And uh, they needed Bibles, obviously kind of hard to teach Christian ethics without Bibles. And so we started supplying them Bibles. And at the end of last year, we had supplied almost three-fourths of their public schools uh, in the nation of Ukraine with Bibles. So... They have been, for lack of a better term, kind of the Bible belt for Europe. And uh, so to see 
Satan through Putin attack this nation in this way is really not surprising and really shouldn't be to to those of us who are believers. Um, so it is it is very much a spiritual war. What sort of stories are you seeing coming out of Ukraine in terms of the courage of Ukrainian Christians? Oh, I mean, I we've got we've got so many. One one recently that just um, has just just killed me was a lady was they were they were trying to flee and um again the attacks are not on military uh sites or military they have no military advantage to these at all it's just it's awful i mean there there are war crimes happening on a regular basis but they were trying to flee their town and uh, missiles hit and they missed the car they kept driving and they heard another one coming in and it hit right on the edge of the car, flipped the car over. And um, so she's unkind. There's, there's five people in the car, uh, the grandparents, um, husband and wife and uh, a little child. And so the woman is knocked unconscious and she is blinded by the, by the blast. And she crawls to the street. People pick her up. She doesn't know where her child is. She can't find her child. She gets to a hospital. She learns that her child has been taken to a hospital, finds the child at the hospital. She's blind. And then after that, learns that her husband and her in-laws were both killed. And watching the people who took care of her, I mean, they're just strangers. They don't know her from anybody. They picked her daughter up took her to the hospital, paid for all the treatment for her her daughter, paid for the treatment for her. Of course, funds are coming in from the States, but it's the Ukrainians who risk their lives to stop. And I mean, bombs are going off and you don't know. And they 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 actually took the bodies out of the the wreckage and um, made sure they, they had a good burial. And, and we're just hearing stories like this. I mean, it's, it's awful, right? I mean, it's just awful. I mean, some of them I don't, I don't even want to talk about what they're seeing, but we're seeing people risking their lives, getting in vans, driving into military areas that are under attack to save people, to rescue people. They don't have to do this. I mean, they could they could head to the Poland border. They could get out of, you know, get to Western Ukraine and be safe, but they're going back in to make sure that people are okay. Mm. Uh, how is the war increasing spiritual hunger? In the region, not just in the Ukraine, but I guess spiritual hunger in other parts of Eastern Europe as well. Yeah, we're seeing we're seeing requests for Bibles at an all time high, and it, it really shouldn't be surprising. Again, when we face tragedy in our lives, we look for solid ground to stand down on, um, and this has been the challenge for us in the U.S. and in Western parts of uh, you know of of the of the world we don't really have challenges like this. We don't face challenges. So with persecution comes a reliance on God. And so we're really seeing them stand down on God and uh, looking for, for that hope that can only be found in the Bible. Well, we mentioned the $2 million for Bibles. Presumably Bibles translated into uh, Ukrainian primarily? Well, yes, some of them um, are. We we just got done this uh this campaign we called Bibles for Kids. It was for 800,000 children's and teen Bibles um, that uh, were 
going into we're going to 19 different languages now many of them did end up going to ukrainian refugee children but they did go in 19 different languages but the interesting thing is we're now delivering ukrainian bibles to poland to romania to hungary to moldova to you know all the all the bordering nations because that's where the ukrainians are are fleeing to but we're getting them as far as we're getting requests as far as uh we've gotten some requests from germany recently Mm. Why are these former communist countries seeing such a growth uh, in response to the gospel, do you think? Well, it's the parable of the sower, right? You know, it's uh, it's good soil. Um, you know, when you go out and Jesus tells that parable very specifically, he it's really the parable of the soils. And the 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 entity that he says very little about, and that's the sower, other than to say he went out and sowed the seed. This is good soil. I mean, if you look at their history with the Holodomor, they were starved out. I mean, they've been through World War II. I mean, they've had atrocities on their land like we cannot even imagine. We have no comparison. So this is good soil. So when you plant the seed of hope, true hope, that is Jesus, it takes root. And when it takes root, as Jesus tells that parable, it grows a hundred times what it was. And we're seeing that strength in them. We're seeing them doing everything in their power to get that hope out because they realize that it's as if they had the cure for cancer, but it's way better than that. They're not about to keep that to themselves. They're going to share that with whoever they can because they, they know this is hope. They they need that to stand down on. So it's a, you know, it's it's hard for us to imagine because I mean here in the U.S. what did we have? We had nine eleven, and it's interesting. After nine eleven, man, the U.S. was a much nicer place. It really was. I mean, I hate to say that, but I'm I'm from the Northeast. I mean, I was living up in up in the New York City, you know, Philadelphia area when that happened, and it it became a much softer, kinder city after that because everybody took care of each other and it's tragedies like that that remind us there's got to be something more and what is it what is that and people begin at least at the very least asking the question what could it be i mean what am i doing here is it just live and get all i can get and then die or is there purpose and if there's purpose what is it so I think their culture and their history, it's come a long way. So it's its very, very good soil. Well, we mentioned Bibles, but uh, EEM is also providing humanitarian relief, aren't they? Now, what sort of humanitarian relief are you are you providing along with the Bibles? Yeah, we, um, we got the request because we've been there for so long. We have so many partners, trusted partners on the ground, and they just came to us and said, boy, we need help. You know, early on, there was crazy money being thrown, but of course, crazy money goes in bad places sometimes and just gets spent a a bit frivolously. So we really partnered with these long standing um, trusted partners of ours. So it's going to food, clothing, medical assistance, housing, any anything along those lines. But for I guess for lack of a better description, we're we're filling in the gaps where some some people may be getting lost in the shuffle and uh, making sure that people are provided for and cared for 
uh, in some of the smaller smaller villages and surrounding areas that aren't getting as much attention. I wonder how EEM works with its ministry partners, your ministry partners on the ground to best effect. How do you partner with them? Yeah, well, it, with the humanitarian aid, we're we're just simply providing providing funding. So we set up a we set up a special account that um, since that's not what we do, I mean, our core is we publish, print, and distribute Bibles and Bible-based materials. So we're we're a publisher. So when we got into providing humanitarian aid, we set it up as a pass-through account. And again, people that are doing humanitarian aid, nothing wrong with this. And they're going to take a little overhead off the top to cover. They got to pay salaries and they got to pay overhead. We just decided not to do that. And so if somebody gives $100, $1,000, then that's exactly what goes out the door. Uh, to these people. So the way we're working with them is we vet the request. We talk to them. We see what the need is. There are certain things we won't provide for. You know, we're not going to do capital improvements on buildings and that type of thing. We want, we want it to go to humanitarian aid. So we're working with these partners on the ground to provide medical, you know, housing, clothing, food, et cetera, to, uh, to people in, in need. So, I mean, that's, that's the way we're working with those partners. Now, Requests for Bibles and books. I mean, we've got partners, those same partners. The interesting thing is after the request for humanitarian aid, and sometimes even before, uh, the number one request is a Bible. And uh, we've just, we've seen the requests. Our, our first quarter of this year ended 32% higher distribution than our first quarter last year. And last year was a record distribution. Mm-hmm. So it's... Um, it's crazy. I mean, I do. I, I tell people when they say, well, tell me about EEM. I say, well, we're in the parable of the sower business. We just need help buying seed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that's, that. I love that's that. the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got a bit of time left, so let's talk about a bit of the history of EEM, if I may. When was EEM, Eastern European Mission, when was it started, Dirk? Yeah, it was uh, started in 1961 and started with seven 20-year-olds. So, oh, okay. seven. Yep. Seven twenty-somethings yeah. who finish their undergrad and decide, you know, we need to go teach people about Jesus behind the Iron Curtain. Now it's only people our age that even know what that is. You know, some of the younger, if you got a younger population, they're going Iron Curtain. What is that? I have to look it up in their history book. You need to take but, them to um, Checkpoint Charlie. You need to take them. That's to right, Charlie. That gives you some idea. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So they went over and they went to Vienna. And they got visas that allowed them to, as students, they enrolled in university that gave them a student visa that allowed them to go behind the Iron Curtain. Well, they got there and they quickly realized this is an absolutely impossible task because people don't have Bibles in their language. So how do we teach them about Jesus if they don't have a Bible in their language? So the guy that I really credit with being the entrepreneur for Jesus who changed EEM and turned it on its on its head is a gentleman by the name of Gwen Hensley. Gwen came back, told his wife, Gail, we got to change. We have to provide Bibles in their language. So that began the printing operation. This is, um, I don't know if you, you have video with your podcast, but this is what is affectionately referred to as the Marlboro Bible, one of the originals. It's the exact size of a pack of cigarettes. You can see that because the guards didn't care if you smuggled cigarettes in. They'd la- they'd allow those in. And I've been told that a good smuggler could get about 150 of those on their body and get them across Checkpoint Charlie and other checkpoints like that and into, into uh, the Soviet Union. So that began a Bible smuggling operation. 
And uh, that continued until 1989. Of course, the wall comes down and our board decided, no, we need to stay put. And the relationships had been developed to now across those same, what were those checkpoints? We're driving tractor truck loads, Brent, across those. And uh, last year we did 1.5 million Bibles. And, wow. Uh, all free of charge in uh, 20, 20 plus different languages and 30, about 34 different countries yes i've stood in checkpoint charlie surrounded by the barbed wire and what's left of the of the lights and i found it a terrifying experience i think it gives you some idea of what, of what it must have been like living in in that place it must have been very very dangerous work for your people right much so. they were all yeah yeah they were all um like gwen uh gwen hensley he um he had a code name that they called him oklahoma um yeah and uh, he had been arrested numerous times they'd all been arrested they were all on watch lists and uh it's kind of the joke you know if you hadn't been arrested you weren't doing something right and uh you you're you're gonna get arrested doing this work but yes it was very very dangerous they were um you know they they uh they dedicated their lives to it and uh i thank god for them and their boldness you know and i i try and tell that to 20 year olds now i mean these were recent undergrads that uh headed out and said this is what we're going to do and look at where it's look at where it's gone i mean they were they were thrilled to get 150 bibles across a border now we're doing 1.5 we we may do 1.7 or so this year yeah i wonder how those countries i'm thinking of a place like the, the czech republic what we call the czech republic now poland russia how have those countries changed since the fall of the wall do you think yeah, it depends on which ones you know um, Czech Republic or Chechia is, um, you know, they're, they're much, they're very much like, um, a lot of the Western part of the, of the world. Um, they're agnostic, they're atheist, they're, they're just lacking any, which is really interesting. You know, Brent, when you think about it, we're the only, we're the only generation, we're the only civilization right now that even even embraces an agnostic or an atheistic mindset. You go back to Rome and you go back to Babylon. That wasn't, that wasn't even a thing. There's no way they, they did not even begin to say there's nothing out there. Mm. It's all about me. I mean, it's just so indicative of our culture and how arrogant we are, but yeah, a lot of those nations have gone atheistic, but many of them, the 30 plus that we work in, are very hungry and we find the pockets. And I think too, as you know, as Jesus told us in this life, you're going to have trouble. So as trouble occurs, they begin looking and saying, okay, what's this life all about? And uh, it's been, it's been a blessing to be able to be there to, um, you know, to provide that. Mm. Yes. I traveled fairly extensively in Eastern Europe about 2006. It was interesting how um, they were still just emerging from the communist years and very suspicious of Western materialism. Yeah. I can remember talking to an older Czech gentleman who was very, very suspicious about Western materialism and actually didn't like it. Yeah, he didn't mm -hmm. like it at all. Anyway, where can people go to support you? Yeah, the best place is just our website, eem.org. Um, and Boy, it's easy to navigate around. They can see donate at the top, and uh, we would love to have their help. Anything they wanted to do to help out. I mean, five dollars provides one Bible, so our price point is is pretty good. Um, we run a very lean operation. I mean, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm 
podcasting and, and talking to you from our Nashville office, which is my home. And uh, so we all office out of our houses. So we keep overhead low. Our, our belief is the lower we keep the overhead, the more, more goes out the door. So if you give us a dollar, about 89 cents goes out the door. Um, okay, so, great. Where, where can people find you on the internet and social media? Yeah, internet, eem.org. All of our social media is on there. We're on, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. And uh, they type in Eastern European Mission. Uh, and they'll they'll find us on on any of those social media sites. Wonderful. We also have a podcast that I'll plug. Oh, I do a new podcast that mm -hmm. uh, that we started. Our second episode just aired last Tuesday, so our third one will be a a week from this Tuesday from today. It's called Fifty Five Eleven for Isaiah Fifty Five Eleven, and uh, it's called the Fifty Five Eleven Podcast. So they can find it on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever people listen to podcasts. So we'd love to people, and we just share God stories very much like you. We're just sharing stories that uh, we experience as we encounter God in the parts of the world that we're blessed to serve. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Dirk Smith, the Vice President of Eastern European Mission. And uh, thanks to, to our creative team at Liquid Edge Digital, who sponsor this podcast and take care of things behind the scenes. Dirk, thanks so much. Thank you, Brent. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.